This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey guys, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my amazing and bundled up co-host, Tyler Hurley. Bundled up. <laughs> bundled up, because it's cold bundled outside up, yeah. here in it, Phoenix. Yeah. It's very cold. I'm, a, You know, I'm a wimp. I prefer the, the hot summers that we get here. Yeah. Uh, not when it gets to like 120 and no, no, it's no, miserable, no. but I prefer when it's in the, you know, like 90s. It's like, yeah. it's hot and it's a little uncomfortable, but I kind of like it that way. Shorts and t-shirts. That's kind of what we wear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I like to wear. But today so. I saw it, man. I was looking at my watch was telling me the temperature, and it was a uh, 37 degrees this morning. I know, so freezing, freezing. <laughs> almost almost below freezing. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, almost so. below freezing. Well, I'm glad yeah. you've worn the jacket today. I got the flannel on because yeah. yeah, it's a little nippy. It'll be 70 degrees by this afternoon, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm Sorry for the rest of the country, and especially our Canadian <laughs> friends. Man, it is cold up there. I've never experienced anything like that. But yeah. Uh, anyways, we're happy to be here with you guys today on the podcast. Uh, happy New Year. Yeah, um, happy new year. Yeah, we're excited about all that God is going to do in 2021, and uh, we wanted to start off with a series that will help with your resolutions. Yes, that's but right. But before we get there, we have a coffee tip, and this is also a kind of a resolution coffee tip. It is, yeah, uh, because in it is the new year, so people mm-hmm. are making all these resolutions, wanting to get healthier, right? Uh, well, one resolution you should have and something to think about and consider is too much caffeine intake is actually unhealthy. Tyler, stop Shocking, it. right? Don't tell me this. <laughs> I know. Too much caffeine? How much caffeine? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, so drinking about 400 milligrams is more than 400 milligrams is a little overboard of coffee okay. per day. So so okay. it, drinking less than 400 milligrams of caffeine per day is the ideal, which equates to about four cups of coffee. Okay, that's Which, not bad. That's yeah, not that's bad. Normal. Four yeah. cups of coffee. I mean, I, I think I, a day. I, I usually don't, only drink like one or two a day. Yeah, I, don't I probably drink. don't have four. I probably have like two, maybe three some days, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So I'm in the healthy zone. <laughs> yeah, right there. Perfect. So if you can stick to that, um, if you were drinking way more than that, we suggest you lean yourself back a bit because caffeine withdrawals can be tough too. Yes. So it, it's trying to combat and like balance all that out because with that, you get headaches, drowsiness, dizziness, irritability, and those are all symptoms of caffeine. Caffeine withdrawal. So when if you're cutting back below that 400 uh, milligram threshold, you're gonna have those symptoms. Yeah, caffeine withdrawal is no joke, man. Yeah, In college I've I was drinking it. so much coffee. I mean, I was having like five or six huge cups a day <laughs> with extra espresso shots in black coffee. I was just, and I was like, this can't be good for my heart. This Wiping can't be good out. for me. Yeah. I was anxious all the time. And so I decided, okay, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to stop. Just stick an IV tube directly yeah, in me at that I point. It's like, <laughs> when I decided to stop though, man, it was terrible. Um, like, yeah, the headaches, yeah. Like pounding headaches, caffeine withdrawals are no joke. Yeah. And so uh, there's some tips that we have here for you to, uh, help manage these withdrawal symptoms. Uh, don't don't cut out all coffee. So there you go. That's okay. some good news for you, right? A lot of people do that. Like, I'm going to just go cold turkey. It's the new <laughs> no. year. I'm done. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, uh, for that, you can, instead of cutting out all coffee, you can just reduce the amount that you drink by having like half a cup a day instead of a whole cup. Or, or drink like this, go to 
to the coffee pot the mm-hmm. same amount of times that you do in a day, except only fill it up like a quarter of the way or That's smart. Yeah. halfway, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, psychologically, you're like, okay, like you're you're thinking, oh, I'm consuming the same amount of coffee. But really, you're not because you're filling up less. So yeah. that's a that's a tip to help you manage. Uh, but with that, also uh, drink plenty of water because when you drink water, that yeah. gets rid of the headaches. Yep. That that clears out the caffeine in your system if you completely uh, hydrate yourself, and then start exercising to help with your energy level. Yeah, because right? a lot of people will lose energy if they're not pumping themselves full of caffeine. Yeah, so, so when, when you're exercising, it's a natural way uh, to boost your energy levels without having to consume coffee. And I mean, coffee works like a drug in that way, man. Like you have mm-hmm. so much of it, you become dependent on it, and then yep. you stop taking it, you get withdrawals. So no, it's very true. That's a good coffee tip. Yeah. So yeah. if you're out there, you're looking to cut back. Here's some good tips on uh, how not to have terrible <laughs> right. withdrawals. And I'm I'm gonna be honest with you, your friends and family will thank us for this. <laughs> Because yeah. the irritability thing is really true. So thanks, yeah, and if, Tyler. That's and if a good you tip. buy f- like four cups of coffee or four to six that's from expensive. like Starbucks a day, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. If you just save half of that money, you can go on like a cruise at the end of the year or something. Yeah, yeah that's who knows? True, so. Yeah, <laughs> invest it. There you yep. go. Well, that's your coffee tip for today. And now we're gonna move into the main content. We're starting this new series um, because at this time of year, a lot of Christians decide, hey. I'm going to read the Bible differently this year. That's right. I'm going to read the entire Bible this year. And there's different Bible plans and there's different apps you can get. And and that's all really great. Um, One of the things that we want to encourage you to do is as you're reading the Bible, no matter what your plan is, no matter how you're going to go about doing it, read the Bible in context. Yes. That is so important. And so we're starting this new series on teaching you some really practical tips on how to read your Bible in context. And each one of those letters, we've made a a cute little acronym for each (laughs) letter in the word contexts with an S at the end to help you remember what types of things you need to be looking for and how you can go about studying scripture. And you will get a lot out of doing this. So Let's move into what reading the Bible in context is. C for context, which we're going to talk about today, is mm-hmm. crowd. Crowd. Who is the crowd that this was written to? Who are the people? Who's the audience that this was written to? After crowd comes occasion. What is going on in the culture? What's the background? What's the history happening at the time and the occasion that the book of the Bible was written to? Uh, who is the author, right? That's the name. So context, crowd, occasion, name. Name of the author. Who wrote it? If we know who wrote it, who signed it, whose name's on it, uh, we can understand a little bit more about it because we can study who they are. Um, crowd, occasion, name. T is time. When was it written? What was the time it was written into? What was going on in history? What's the date of the writing, right? Time. So crowd, occasion, name, time. The E is echoes. And this one's interesting. Like what are repeated words, phrases, scriptures? A lot of people don't think to look for what's repeated a lot because they would repeat things that they're trying to give emphasis to specifically because they didn't have exclamation points. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they didn't have punctuation. Punctuation was not present. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> they had to figure out ways to emphasize and repeated words, phrases, scriptures is one of the ways they did it. So crowd, occasion, name, text, echoes. For the X, I put explanation. And I know that's a little bit of a stretch because explanation starts with X. an E, but it's it an X, X factor <laughs> idea. Yeah, I hope so. you remember it. Explanation. Explanation. And this is where we want to talk about, okay, 
what um, words mean? How do we do word studies? How do we look at a range of meanings of a word? What's the explanation of save? What's the explanation of flesh? What's the explanation of whatever, right? And we want to say, okay, how did they define these words then so I can know what it means? Crowd, occasion, name, text, echoes, explanation. The T is text. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, where you say, what does the text say? And that's the first step, really, in uh, in um, studying the Bible, but it didn't fit my acronym, so I put it near the end. But that's fine. <laughs> but we got to say, yeah, what does the right. text say before we get to what does it mean? And then the S for contexts is says to me. This is the application idea. Okay, so how does this apply to my life? What does it mean in my life? How do I know what it says uh, through studying all this stuff, and then how does it apply to me? So contexts, crowd, occasion, name, time, echoes, explanation, text, and says to me. Context. Yep, context. This really helps me when I'm studying scripture to gain a lot from it. And uh, this is something I think it will really transform uh, your Bible study. Now, it takes some work. Yeah. It takes some effort. It's not just cracking it open and reading a verse and then moving on with your day. I often like to say, you know, sometimes we treat the Bible like a fortune cookie. Like we break it open, we read it once, and we go, oh, that makes me feel good, and we move on. That's not how the Bible's meant to no, be studied, yeah. right? Yeah, the way to do this, too, is you want, like, just recommendation is that you take notes to this podcast, take notes during the series, because what it can help you with is your Bible study process through taking notes uh, while you're reading scripture, too, and writing out the crowd, occasion, name of author, time, echoes, explanation, text, and what it says to you, the application, if you write all of that out and journal it out, it m- makes it so much more clear rather than trying to do all this in your head. Yeah. So that's my recommendation to you guys. If you uh, take, uh, you should take the time to study the Bible and take notes on it. And that's one way to do it. That's important. Like one of my mentors, yeah. one of the things he does is he has, because again, this this is crazy. It's like we have Word documents yeah. that are endless. So he has this Word document on his computer for his devotions, and he like studies all this stuff and puts it in for each book. And then as he goes through and reads that book, you know, in another two years or whenever he's studying again, he pulls up his notes and he has all this stuff that he's found out about it. And he goes through it as he's reading through it again. And then he finds out more stuff about it and reads other, you know, writes commentaries and stuff. Writes yeah. all that. So he has kind of like my favorite things I've ever learned about Genesis, my favorite things I've ever learned about, you know, Philippians yeah. in Word documents. So when he's studying them, he can refer back to them. Because again, you're probably not going to remember all of this, but if you do the work, like you said, to yeah, uncover it, Put it somewhere That's that you great. can access And it. then you could just control F and then find anything that you're looking for. Exactly. It's searchable. It's yeah. crazy. So yeah. That's awesome. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about the first yes. uh, part of the acronym in context, C, crowd. Tyler, yeah. what do we mean by crowd? How does this work? Yes. Today, we are going to be completely focused on crowd. So, uh, so the idea of it is how do we know who the crowd was that the book was written to? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the context behind that? Uh, there are many internal hints in the text that we read as to who the original audience was. And you can find that easily, like through a lot of these, you might be surprised when you're, all it takes is just a little dissecting, a little, little digging, and then you can find out. Well, and the the truth is out there. And you could cheat. You could cheat. And this is what we're going to encourage you to do. Don't cheat. Like teach yourself how to do these these steps. Yeah. Don't Google it. And even like, don't, don't go to a commentary immediately. Don't open up a survey of the new Testament immediately. Those things are all helpful tools, but it's really better for us and it solidifies more if we discover things on our own. Yeah, it does. And so when you approach any book of the Bible, 
with crowd, we're going to ask, okay, who is this written to? And read through it and, and see if you can figure out from internal evidence who it was written to. And if you can't, then go to a commentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but try on your own to do it. Don't just don't just Google the answer or look right. for the quick, easy way out. Try to discover it. Yeah, and so we're going to actually do a little exercise here. We're going to show you guys how this is done with a passage. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 2. I'm, I'm going to read the verse real fast. <laughs> it says... Uh, Paul called as an apostle of Christ of Jesus Christ by the will of God and so th- so thus our brother to the church of God which is at Corinth to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours so sometimes we can dedu- deduce who is the intended crowd by the statements named in the book. Yeah, and this verse is easy because it sh- he literally tells us, right? Yeah, it's super clear. To the church of God, which is at Corinth. Yeah, like, simple. It can't get clearer than that, right? <laughs> yeah, he no. says he uh, identifies them. So right that's away. when it's easy, right? L- yep. Like when the author specifically addresses the crowd who they're speaking to, but it's not always like that. No, because well, if you think about it, in a lot of Paul's letters, he'll do that. Yeah, right. He'll say to this place, to this place, to this place. Um, but then in the Gospels. No, they well, don't start off and say who. Well, the thing is to. too with uh, with Paul's letters, they're all you can cheat on that one. Uh, if you got to figure out who he's writing to, look at the title of the book. Yeah, so, exactly. Well, yeah. But, but see, this is where it gets interesting. And I, I was preaching at church a few weeks ago, and I played a trick on everyone, and I said, "Okay, so when when Paul writes, you know, First Corinthians, who's Corinthians written to? Because we were talking about the importance. Yeah, yeah. Of this. And they said Corinth, and I said yes. And Philippians, who's that written to? And they said. The Philippians. I said, yes. And then I said, Galatians, who's that into? And they said, Galatians. And I said, yeah, but did you know Galatia wasn't a city? It <laughs> was a province of cities. That'd be kind of important to know. Mm. Instead of writing to, you know, Tucson, Arizona, it's more like he's writing to Maricopa County. Different. That's specific. And then yeah. you can, you know, you can trick people further and say, who was Philemon to? And they'll say, to the Philemons. No, Philemon was one person that Paul wrote a personal letter to. Yeah. Kind of like to Timothy, right? Yeah, right. And Philemon actually was in Galatia. So now that gets confusing. Like, wait a second. Wait, what's going on here, right? But it's important to yeah. know who they were written to. And you're right. A lot of times with Paul, he says right off the bat, yeah. right? But then some of, them, some of the names are a little tricky. We'll mess <laughs> like, with you. That's yeah, right. Yeah, we'll mess with you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's important to look internal into the book. And sometimes it's easy and it just it says right off the bat who it is, like in 1 Corinthians. Yeah, but then sometimes we can uh, look at the statements in the passage in order to deduce like who's the intended audience. Like yeah, you can look not, at it directly. Sometimes it's not clearly stated, but we can figure it out yeah, still. You can, even though you can do some stated. deductive logic here. So let's look at that. Like give us an example of where we can do that. Yes. Yes. This is going to be in John 20, 30 through 31. It says, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so we're, we're, how do we deduce something about the audience from that? How do we figure out who the crowd is from that? Yeah, well, the thing is, is from this, we can deduce that John obviously had non-Christians in mind because this is a book specifically written to evangelize the lost, right? Oh, okay. So now we get, yeah, maybe yeah. we don't know where they're located or who they're supposed to be, but now but we know the type audience, of yeah, person. The type of person, exactly. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the audience is based on a location, but based on a people group. Yeah, his target crowd was 
unsaved people. Yeah, yeah. Because you wrote an evangelistic book. Yeah, and that's the thing. If you ever hear pastors preach from it, it's a very evangelistic book. Like it you is. see it that way. And so that's the thing. So you can start to kind of think it through logically, and you're like, well, this makes sense. Like, yeah, of course it would be intended for uh, the evan- to evangelize the lost. Yeah, so, and he tells us yeah. a purpose statement of it and who, in a roundabout way, who the crowd is. So yeah, we can deduce who yeah, it was. Yeah, that believing, you may have the son, uh, you may have life in his name. He wouldn't be co- uh, completely reiterating that over and over and over again if he had assumed that his intended audience had already understood that, right? Yeah, well, and, and then it gets interesting yeah. is because if you go to First John, which is another book John wrote, that intended audience is Christians. That's right. Yeah, and so he talks about different how you, things. How and do so, you look at this? Yeah, yep. Even comparing an author with their other writings, it's helpful to identify the crowd. Of course. Yeah. Have you ever been to a concert where, um, like the you know the the band comes out and uh, they say, "Hey, what's going on, everyone?" And the crowd, "Wow!" And then, <laughs> "Hey, we're just so glad to be here tonight with you all." Wow! And then they say, "Yeah, we love Detroit." And then it's crickets because everyone's we're in Phoenix. <laughs> have you ever have you ever been to a show where they made their no, wrong name? No, I See, haven't. That I think is Have a you? good uh, yes, <laughs> and it kills it. Now wow. I've also been to many where they say Phoenix or Tempe, and people just love to hear their city named, and they go crazy for some reason. But um, we can lose our our uh, our study habits. We can lose what we're trying to gain a lot in the same way, like a, a you know a musician loses his crowd when he says the wrong name. Like it's important to know who's being talked to <laughs> in scripture. So I think about that a lot when I come to it. I'm like, okay, Robbie, don't don't say Detroit when it's Phoenix. Yeah, who yeah. is this to? It's just it helps me to remember crowd. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> never had that happen, but that's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, look it at will that. sometime. Yeah, it will. All right. Well, okay. Let, let's look at another one. So this is interesting. So sometimes they they'll identify who they are. Right in the beginning, like Paul does with the Corinthians, we can deduce who they are sometimes through purpose statements like in John and figure out this is probably written to non-Christians. Yeah. There's another way that's internal where we can deduce who the intended crowd is by statements that are made in the book. Uh, so I just want to read a few verses from the epistle of James. Um, at the very beginning of it, James 1, 2, and 3, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Um, James 1.16, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Uh, James 1.19, This you know, my beloved brethren. James 2.1, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. All those verses to point out, James keeps saying, Brethren, brethren, my brethren, beloved brethren, right? Uh, brethren is actually used in this epistle 19 times. So now that's getting into echoes, right? That's a repeated word. But by seeing him refer to these people as brothers, brethren, brethren, this helps us to conclude that the book of James is being written to Christians. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It's written to Christians. So this helps us when it comes to interpreting what James says. Yeah, and it's it's very clear when you look at it that way. And then... not only that, like identifying the crowd also helps us in interpreting the book. So, well, and that's the key. Not right? even we, just yeah, we want to know what to understand how how to understand scripture, and one of the ways we can un- understand it better is by knowing who the intended crowd is. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It, like, 
it's not just a way to help us just understand the idea of, uh, oh, he's he's writing to this people group, and that's why the message uh, says that he's reaching out to uh, people who need to hear the gospel, right? He's reaching yep. out to people who are not saved. Uh, but there's more context to that. It helps us interpret, oh, what's his actual meaning behind what he's saying here? Yes. Yeah, that, By knowing that's the huge. crowd helps us know what he's trying to say to them. So yes. give us an example of that. Let's look at James as an example. Where, where do we see this in James? Yeah, this is in, uh, I'm going to read James 1, 19 through 21. It says this, you know, my beloved brethren. Okay, so brethren... There it is, Christians. Yes, my beloved brethren. Okay. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Hmm. Interesting, right? Wait a second. So he Save your obviously, soul. obviously, then he must be talking about how to go to heaven when you die. Well, no. Why? Because he's talking to brethren, oh, Christians. Oh, they're already they're, Christians. They're justified, right? Oh, and that's, now thing. that's interesting. Yeah. So, so we know that they're called brethren, which means they're Christians, which means they, it can't be justification. So the question is, what does this mean, right? Like, is James contradicting other? Gospel writers, yeah. right? What is happening here? Or is he? Yeah, because you could say he's saying that yeah. you need to not get angry, so mm-hmm. that you go to heaven when you die. Yeah, you could think, but obviously we know that's not what he's saying. Yeah, because he's he's say, made statements before counter to that that gives you an idea of his, and other scripture. Yeah, and is other counter, scripture. So you don't get to heaven by doing good things. Exactly, yeah. and so that's a known thing. So what does it mean when he's talking to justified Christians and saying? That this is able to save your souls. What does he mean? Yeah. And that's what we want to get to. Yeah. But you could see how you're confused if you don't know who the crowd is. Yeah. You may think this is an evangelistic book like John. That's right. So it's very important to identify the crowd. Yeah. Another thing you can deduce from this, James 1, 19 through 21, based on it's to Christians, is he says, you know this, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So he's implying that Christians can get angry and be bad listeners. Well, and yeah, and we have to really like hinge too on the fact that like, that word brethren that he's talking about there, he is definitely referring to Christians and yeah. fellow believers. That's not like saying friends, family, like neighbors, you know? No, no, no. He's saying brethren, people who are like-minded. And so yeah. that's the idea. So it's... And it's, in other parts of the book, he includes himself within, we have this in Christ. We, exactly. We. And yeah, so you, so you can know see, that's what he's talking okay, about. he's talking to fellow Christians. The intended crowd is Christians, which again, helps us to understand what's being said. So understanding yes. who the crowd is helps with interpretation. So exactly. I think you that's can't right. skip over this. Again, because if you thought this is an evangelistic book, it totally changes what you read here. Yeah, it does. Yep. Much like, you know, if if I'm reading a letter that's, a, you know, a love letter written to a, a guy's wife when he's at war, and I think it is a letter from a grandparent to a grandchild, I'm going to be very confused. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. So we got to know who it was intended to, who it was written from, what type of literature it is. All of those things go into it. But for today, we're just talking about who's it written to. Who's the crowd? Yeah. We don't want to say Detroit when it's Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We want to make sure we know. Otherwise, we'll be lost. 
So listen, once you identify who the crowd is, then you can even do a little more study to understand and interpret these scriptures yeah. well. Um, if you learn a little bit about who the crowd is, it really can bring to life the scriptures uh, and you'll see new things. So I want to I show you how this works with a specific example in uh, Philippians. So we're going to look at the Philippian church. Mm. All right, so here's the background on the Philippian church, and you can read about this in Acts 16, but I'm just going to kind of give a synopsis of, okay, who are these people? Because we want to dig into, if it's written to them, who were they? Yes. So uh, Philippi is a place that Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke all go to on a missionary journey. Uh, they engage in sharing the gospel with some women by a river. That's the first people they talk to about yeah. Jesus. And one of the women by the river is this woman named Lydia, who was a very rich woman because she was a, a fashionista, actually. She dealt in purple, <laughs> That's tie, true. Uh, purple dye. She was from Thyatira. She was a, yeah. Uh, fashion icon. And uh, she feared God and she was by the river praying with some other women. And Paul and his companions go and they evangelize to her and she believes in the gospel. Yeah. After this happened, Lydia asks the men to stay with her because she's got a huge house. And again, she lives in Thyatira, but she's in Philippi at her, you know, summer home kind of thing. Yeah, and it's, right. it's big enough for people to stay at. So this woman's loaded. Yeah, she's so, got a summer home yeah. in the ancient world. It's like <laughs> Yeah, in a really nice ritzy area. Yeah, yeah. So she asks them to stay with them. They stay with her, and they keep preaching the gospel to the people in the city of Philippi. Um, there's this demon-possessed girl who starts harassing Paul and his companions, and she's following them, yelling things. And uh, Paul gets sick of it, and he turns around, and he casts the demon out of her. <clears throat> After this happens, the people who owned this slave girl got really upset because they were making a living off of her fortune telling. And now the demon's gone. Yeah. They can't make money anymore. So they view it as this guy has ruined our business. <laughs> there should be some liability on this guy for ruining my yeah. livelihood. Yeah, and that's that's just absolutely that's it insane. Is. Yeah. yeah, so they get really mad. So they go to the mm -hmm. – um, the the local authorities and they they propose yeah. what to do with Paul and his companions. Yeah, yeah, and then we see what happens here in uh, Acts sixteen twenty through twenty four. Says these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief. Uh, um, magistrates, yeah, magistrates, uh, tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, now because of this, yeah. Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. Because they exercised the demon. Because they exercised the I demon. I always thought that was a nice thing to do. Uh, yeah, you would think, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. but, but ruining fortune-telling businesses. I know. It's not, not good. No, not, not. They don't take too kindly to that. No, so they don't. That's the thing. So did you see how, did you see, though, how the argument of the Philippians was based on the fact that they were Romans? Yeah, he says these guys, these Jews yeah. are coming here and they're making us follow these weird customs and they're unlawful for us being Romans. Yeah, because we're Romans. Because we're Romans. Well, but they're not in Rome. They're, they're not. They're in Philippi. That's the question to ask, right? Okay. Like, why does this matter? Because the, that's what we need to ask is who were the Philippians, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, that's the thing. It was based on the fact that they were Romans, but obviously they're, in, they're Philippians. So it's like, how does that make sense? Yeah, well, this is how it all comes together. And again, once we identify... 
who the book of Philippians is written to. Yes. We can dig into who were these people. You can go to Acts 16 and hear about the first time Paul goes there. And then you can study up on the city of Philippi. Like, I love this about the Bible. It's not mythology. Yeah. I mean, these are real places. You it, know, it's you, true. You read Star Wars and they're made up places. Uh, you read the Book of Mormon and there's all these made up places that they've <laughs> never true. found archaeologically. Yeah. Um, the Bible's true. And so we know where Philippi is to this day and we have history of it in manuscript and in archaeology. So here's a little background on the city of Philippi. Uh, Philippi at the time of Paul was a Roman colony. And here's why. Um, in 42 BC, there was a battle in Philippi, and some Roman soldiers ordered by Anthony uh, were, were commanded to stay and live there after the battle was over. Okay? So then, so that's 42 BC. Then in 30 BC, Octavian forced people in Italy to give up their homes and to settle in Philippi and in other places. So they're, they're trying to like colonize. They're trying to, hey, we're sending people yeah. to other places to, to spread the Roman influence. So the Philippian residents uh, were given special privileges by Octavian during this time, uh, and it was called, this This idea is called the italic rite, all right? One of the rules was the italic rite, which is also called the isu italicum, that's yeah. how I'd say it in Latin, but the italic rite. Uh, what this meant is that um, colonists uh, from Rome who left and moved to Philippi, in return for being displaced from their home, were treated as if their land was Italian soil. Mm. So it's like yep. this consulate idea. It's that is sovereignty. It's in Philippi. It's outside of Italy, but it is still Rome. So uh, residents uh, of Philippi were Roman citizens because their land was considered Rome. Yeah. Even though it was in Philippi. Because of their Roman citizenship, they enjoyed um, a lot of benefits. They had certain tax benefits that they got. Um, we know Roman citizens couldn't be crucified. That was illegal. Um, mm -hmm. So there were benefits to being a Roman citizen, and the Philippians were Romans. That's why in Acts 16, their argument's based on, we're not going to believe this crazy Jewish stuff because we're Romans. Yeah. And you go, yeah. but you're not Romans. You live in Philippi. Oh, no, they actually were Romans because Rome deemed Philippian they had the status to be Rome. Yeah. Yep. So really interesting, right? So that's a little history on the Philippians. Yeah. Yeah. And so now let's turn to the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Okay. For a little more context yeah. with this here, right? We want to find out who the crowd is. We don't want to just take the heading yeah, as true. Yeah, exactly. Right? We, we want to investigate this a little. So Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Yep. That's, so that's Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. Yep. So right? it's to the saints in Christ in Philippi. Exactly. Okay. We know exactly right what off the is. bat. There you go. Yep. So I just want to read that just so that way you guys had an idea right away. Paul says his audience. That's right? why it's called the book of Philippians. Exactly. It says who it's to. Yes. <laughs> yep. Very clear. Just like we mentioned earlier. <laughs> yep. So now I'm going to read Philippians 1.27. Now it says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Okay, so this is an interesting verse, Philippians 127. 
Uh, you see where it says only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Yes, right in the beginning. So the word conduct yourselves is a weird translation, I think, um, because the word, it's not two words in Greek. It's one word. Yeah. It's the word politeomai, which is where, actually where we get our word politic from. Really? Right? I didn't yeah. know that. Wow. Look it at is. That. And, and so what it literally means is to behave the way citizens are supposed to behave. Politic. Yeah. Citizen. So it, it's to have this idea of being a good citizen. So he's saying, be good citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Yes. Behave as citizens of the gospel of Christ. That's kind of the idea behind it. And this is important because of the crowd he's writing to. But let's look at one more passage before we get into that. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, Philippians 3.20. says, for our citizenship. Oh, there's the same word. Uh-huh. Politeomai. Okay. Exactly. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So okay. citizen, be a good citizen. Our citizenship's in heaven. Yeah. Okay. So, so why all this talk about citizenships, right? Why is this so uh, firm in this message, right? He doesn't really talk about that idea in a lot of other books. No, he doesn't. Yeah. And so I, uh, for some context, I'm going to read uh, this, um, this little quote here. This is from, uh, I'm going to make sure I don't butcher his name. Ben Witherington, yeah. The, the thir- third. The third, correct. The third. I'm the third, so I always like when people say the third. The third, okay? yeah. Ben Witherington, go. the third. Now, he's a great scholar who's done tremendous work in history of Christianity. Yes, yes. And so what he did here is uh, um, uh, there's a statement about this idea of citizenship, okay? In 31 BC, Octavian defeated Mark Anthony in Philippi and then made the city a Roman colony by settling some of his soldiers there. Philippi was given the issue Italicum, which gave its citizens every legal right of an Italian city. Mm -hmm. This was the highest honor that could be bestowed on a provincial city. Benefits of this included exemption from poll taxes and land taxes, and Philippi was Rome in microcosm. So it was a part of Rome. So That's what he's trying to drive in here. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense, the history of it, what went on, why. Okay. Because of this, Roman citizenship was a highly prized thing to have in Philippi. Okay, you, so that you was held this with high esteem. That was a big deal to them. Yeah, of course it was. We I mean, are Roman citizens. It would be a big deal because because yeah. you are held to that social status. You're it's the highest you're status an upper you could class have. Status. Yeah, that's the that's the name. Yeah, that's the idea. And so in Acts sixteen, we see it. We can't listen to these Jews because we are Roman. Yeah, this idea exactly. is unlawful to us because we are prideful Roman people. And then Paul writes to them, be good citizens, not of Rome, but of the gospel. Yes. It's Don't forget true. that your citizenship is in heaven. This is, <laughs> this is a fascinating because he's emphasizing something in their culture that was really important to them. Yeah. And he's saying, listen, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Now – with all the political turmoil of last year and even the political turmoil stuff that's happened this past week, yeah, um, can we as Christians sometimes get too focused on our American citizenship? Oh, of course we can. And forget about our actual citizenships in heaven. Of course we Isn't can. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's, it's, so that's the emphasis Paul's putting here. Now, if you don't know much about Philippi, you don't know the crowd, you're not going to see that. You're just going to read, okay, yeah, I'm a citizen of heaven, great. He's making a big point to them because citizenship was of such value to them. Yes. This is like cutting at their heart. Mm. So he's a genius, and he knew 
his audience. He knew his crowd. He didn't say Detroit when he was in Phoenix. That's absolutely right. He knew exactly who he's writing to. His point is that much like the fact that Philippi was given the Isu Italicum by Octavian, the true king, Jesus, made the Philippian believers citizens of his kingdom in heaven. That's the point. Yeah. That's huge, right? So Paul was a Roman citizen, but he regarded his true citizenship as the reality in which he operated his life. Not Rome, but the gospel. The the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus would say. (laughs) And that's the citizenship that all who've trusted in Christ have. And that's the point that Paul is making. So so when we understand, again, who the crowd is— it really helps us to have insights into what Scripture is saying and how to interpret it correctly. Yeah. Just by doing one thing, understand who's the crowd, right? Simple to do, but it really yeah. helps you understand Scripture. Look at how much context that we drew out of that, just from just yep. from understanding who the crowd is. That That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And so it's so important that we're investigating these things and we're, we're looking deeply yep. at the context, right, that we, as we discussed, so we focus on the crowd, the occasion, name of the author, time, echoes, or repeated words, explanation, right? Explanation. Yeah. For word studies and then text. What does the text say? Observation. And then says to me, how, how does it apply to you? That's, yep. that's what we need to be focusing on is yep. the, the context of scripture. We, yep. we need to be investigating and we need to be looking at these things thoroughly because uh, the Bible is meant to be investigated. It's yeah. designed by nature, for us to look at the context and to study it and to know it by heart. Yeah, we're supposed to study Scripture. We're supposed to use our minds to love the Lord. And um, again, a lot of people study Scripture, well, but a lot of people don't. And let me let me let me ask you, you this, Robbie. Yeah, I mean, you went to college, obviously. Yep. I did. I went to college. Yeah, My yeah. mom went to college. Your mom went to college? Yeah, I love that. That's great. Napoleon That's a Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. For those of you who don't know, yeah. yeah. Go rent that movie today and watch it. Yeah, yeah. It's a good movie. Uh, but the thing is, you went to college, yeah. and your mom went to college, apparently. Uh, there you go. <laughs> you should know, obviously, when you studied something, mm-hmm. did you just read it like no. one time and so, or you know like once or twice like be like okay i, I think i get the idea no that's move on. that's not study did that help you pass anytime <laughs> no, you did that no that doesn't help no. you no no what yet yeah, what did you do robbie what did you do to study i took time okay i set aside time i had to block out hey in order to do this assignment or to read this i need time Okay. So yeah. I set aside time and I'd read and reread and seek to understand, not just seek to get through it. Of course. Yeah. I think that was important. Because you got to get the grade, right? Yeah. Something that I did, I took notes on yeah. everything I did because because I, I also went went to school for uh, Christian studies. And so it's very historical based. So it's a lot of memorization, mm-hmm. a lot of dates, a lot of context, right? Yep. So <laughs> to do that, I took a lot of notes. I wrote down things. So so you got to think like to study and to investigate the context, it's to do more than to just read and gloss over it. You have to actually commit your time, write down, take notes mm-hmm. and like memorize it, know it in your heart, know God's word. That's what it means to study the word of God. And I think that we as Christians need to be active in doing that. And so I, I again, I just hope that... Uh, <laughs> This series helps that with you guys. And through through the process of looking at the context, we can grow and understand Scripture better in that way. Yeah, I think so. And one one of the passages I love to think about, Tyler, is because, again, so often 
I know I've done it in my life, and I know other Christians do it. it we do treat the Bible like it's a magazine mm. or like it's a yeah. fortune cookie. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, we do. And, and we you just flip to a random passage yeah. and stick your finger in there stick and say, what does this say? Have you ever done, have you done that recently? <laughs> Not, you stick your no. finger in and you're like, uh, cur- God, curse me and die. Yes, thank you, Lord. That I really did that in high me. school and then it was like, uh, <laughs> and I landed in Song of Solomon and it's like your nose yeah. is like oh, the... <laughs> yeah. What does that help with? I'm like, and oh, that's and great. And you're lost. And then you're thinking, oh, this is written to me. It wasn't written to you. No. It was written to a specific crowd. Yeah. And if you don't know who they were, you're not going to understand the purpose of the exactly. book. Exactly. So that's what we got to do. But I love what the King James Version uh, says in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman mm. that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Yeah. This is something that Paul told Timothy while he was in Ephesus, and I know that because I've done the study on the occasion of this book, who wrote it, the crowd it was written to, all of that. But how does that apply to me? Well, I, th- I think it directly applies to me. I don't think this was just something that Paul told Timothy to do. I think this is something all Christians need to do. Yeah. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because to be honest, when we don't rightly divide the word of truth and we don't know what scripture says and people ask us for the hope that we have in us and we don't know, it's a shameful thing. Yeah. And the problem is we haven't done the study. We haven't Mm. done the study. So 2 Timothy 2.15, take that to heart. Study to show yourself approved. Jesus told us, love God with all your mind, right? Yeah. Uh, we can be transformed, Paul says in, in Romans 12, 1, by the renewing of our mind. Mind mm. is an important thing, and a lot of times we waste it on easy stuff. Study yeah. is not easy. Studying scripture is difficult, but it is so rewarding. It is. It, it really is. It is so worth it. And so we highly encourage you guys— with this context series, do this. This week in your Bible study, say, okay, I'm going to try to... Who Who is Ecclesiastes written to? Yeah. Who yeah. was Genesis written to? What, what's going on here? It helps you to understand what Scripture says and interpret it correctly, which will help you apply it to your life. Correctly. Yeah, yeah. And go ahead and apply that to your New Year's resolution. That's yes. something you can do. Uh, make sure that you uh, take the time to really take this seriously and uh, focus your heart on Scripture. Absolutely. Next week, we're going to continue with the study on context, and we're going to be back talking about the occasion. We talked about the crowd. Next week, we'll talk about occasion. The historical and cultural background of stuff Mm -hmm. helps us to understand what's being said in Scripture, especially when we get to weird statements of Jesus. (laughs) And that's what we're going to look at next week, a really weird saying of Jesus and how we can understand it when we understand the historical context. Yes. And thank you guys so much for joining us this week in Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I hope this podcast has been an encouragement to you. And if it has, uh, please consider becoming a member on our Patreon because yes. uh, we're, we ha- we are on Patreon now. We have uh, quite a bit of support growing there. Uh, if you join Patreon, there's certain tiers where you could get some pretty cool merch from us, including which are coming in pretty soon here, these uh, stoneware mugs, which we are very excited about. Yeah, I can't wait to get my hands on one of those. They <laughs> yeah, should be in this week. So. They look awesome. So if you guys want one of those right now, the only way you can get one is by joining us on Patreon, uh, by joining the specific tier for the mug and then also uh please if you haven't already uh leave us a review on apple podcasts because uh that's where uh we could use some more growth so that way the the word of the podcast can spread further and people can study apologetics more through this ministry and then also if you could please follow us on our social media accounts if you haven't already uh we're on facebook instagram Mm -hmm. twitter 
and YouTube. Yes. So, and you may notice this week there's no YouTube video, but there will be next week. So yes. just be, stick around for that. But with that, please be following along on our content on Instagram because that's where we post most of our stuff. If you were newer to the podcast, and uh, go ahead and give us a follow on those platforms. Yeah, we'd love to connect with you on there. Love to hear your thoughts, uh, talk about things, questions you have. Send us a message somehow. Reach out to us and let us know about that. But, well, thank you so much again for being with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We'll be back next week to continue our context series, helping to equip you to study God's Word well. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.